you guys, tonight is going to be really good. I'm speaking personally, it's going to be good for me just to think about these things and to think about who I am as a child of God, made to be in, uh, in a state of shalom, actually. Jesus Christ came to make peace, to make shalom something that is accessible to humans again, to order from chaos, to bring chaos into order and all of that. And this, this conversation around mental health is a huge part of that. Like we said this morning, right? Uh, uh, shalom that God intends, the, the, the fullness of life that God intends includes right relationships with God, with others, with creation, and with ourselves. And so that is a big focus of tonight. What does that look like? And so we're going to hear it from Greg Pikin in, in like a matter of moments. And, uh, and so, yeah, if you have questions throughout the night, there'll be a Q&A at the end. And I'll kind of lead Greg in those, answering your questions. And I might have some of my own for him on the fly. We'll see what happens. This whole thing will be recorded. By the way, if you missed any Houses of Learning in the past, they're all on the podcast pretty much. Um, some of them didn't, the recording didn't work out, so one or two didn't get posted. But, and, and it's Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. We're on both, so you know, just in case you, know, you Android. I won't ask you to identify yourself, but you Android users. Um, and that was kidding. It's good to say that about iPhone users, too. But uh, so uh, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll welcome Greg. Heavenly Father, would you come by the power and presence of your spirit, wash our minds now in the presence of God, and in um, whatever scriptures come to mind throughout the night that just underscore what's happening in the room, would you bring those to mind? Thank you for the opportunity to sit with friends and family and consider your heart for our minds. We choose to love you with our minds. Heal us. Pray that people would experience your healing tonight. And moving forward from here, we live into the healing you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen. Without any further delay, please welcome pastor and therapist, Greg Pikin. I love you too. <laughs> um, if you don't know me and love me yet, again, my name is Greg Pikin. I uh, spent about 17 years in full-time uh, vocational ministry at a non-denominational church in LA before uh, uh, working towards becoming um, licensed marriage and family therapist. We're almost there, you guys. I got my 3,000 hours. Go team. Yes. Um, and I do a lot of different uh, kinds of, of work that I've really, really fallen in love with. So I do uh, a lot of work with the LGBTQ community. I do a lot of work with creatives because I have a songwriting background. Um, I love doing work uh, in the addiction space. And actually, that, that, that's become a lot of where I've spent my time. Um, I'm on my way towards getting my certification in sex addiction therapy. And then I also, in addition to private and group practice, I do a lot of work uh, in alcohol and drug rehab uh, at a men's clinic every Friday. And I really, really love that work because I think there's something so powerful about being with people in a space where they're really raw, really ready to go, and you, you walk in without any pretense. And what they've taught me a lot is the power of vulnerability, the power of connection. And really where we're going to land tonight is that idea that connection is really the greatest healer that we have available to us. Um, 
if we splash that next slide up, Nate. Um, one of my favorite quotes that if you, uh, if you see me as a client that you're going to hear over and over until you want to scream is from a psychologist named Johan Hari. He says, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Well, what does that mean? Because I thought that addiction and sobriety go together, and they do. But why is connection the great healer? So what he talks about in a really popular YouTube talk that you guys can look up is uh, there was a very famous experiment done with a bunch of rats, and uh, they called it the rat park experiment. Okay, And in one cage, you have uh, a rat that is isolated all by himself, and he has nothing to do, nothing to play with, no one to play with. It's a very sad little rat, right? And he has two options in this cage for water to drink. He's got regular clean water, and he's got drugged water. Now in this cage, where he has got nothing to do and no one to be with, which water do you think he chooses? The drug water, yes. In fact, the poor little mouse ends up drinking the drug water until it dies. I know, I'm sad too, yeah. Um, now in this other cage, you have this other rat that has access to the ex same exact two water bottles, one drugged, one clear. But in this cage, you've got the rat amusement park of all amusement parks. There are rats to play with. There are fun little hamster wheels. It's a good time, right? Everybody who has ever been a rat wants to be in this park, okay? Let me tell you something. Now, what water in this experiment does the rat choose? Almost every single time, the rat chooses the clear water, not the drugged water. And why is that? Well, it's because there are meaningful connections with other rats. They're playing together. It's because they have a meaningful life of play and joy. In this cage, the rat is having such a good time, it doesn't want to be distracted by the, by the silly drug water. It wants to be really present with the other rats and, and playing, right? Now, that sounds great for rats, but what does this mean for human beings? Well, uh, thankfully, there are a couple countries that actually took this uh, experiment to heart. Uh, one of them was Portugal. And in Portugal, they decided, we're going to experiment with our own version for humans. And so they took all of the money that they used to spend criminalizing and punishing people who are addicts, and they reinvested those funds into reintegration into society, making sure they had uh, the right treatment, making sure they had connection to meaningful work, uh, meaningful connections with one another. And guess what happened? The rate of addiction dropped by over 50%. It's a really powerful uh, metaphor for what life can be like when we have meaningful connection, isn't it? And so it makes sense then that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Now as Christians, I think we can take that even further and we can say, wow, what does it look like for us to have connection? We take that all the way to God, right? We can have meaningful connection to God in a relationship with Christ. We can have meaningful connection to one another in the family of God through the church and through small groups. We can have meaningful connection even to our understanding of ourself as we explore our identity, what it means for us to be beloved children of God and all of that that entails. That's exciting, isn't it? Connection with God, self, others, that will become the framework by which we think through a lot of our healing journey, okay?
Now, uh, let's say you are ready for your own mental health journey and you are coming to Shoreline uh, Recovery Center where I work on Fridays. And what we would be doing first in your intake process is something called a biopsychosocial assessment. And that's not just because we want to feel good about ourselves and sound fancy. Um, it's because it's just basically saying biology matters, psychology matters, and our social lives matter, right? And don't we inherently know that all of these kinds of things affect how mentally well we are? All those things go into assessing how am I doing with my mental health? It's not just one thing, it's everything. Every part of us affects every part of us. So if we go break that down a little bit, uh, we start with our biology, right? What's going on with our bodies? How are we connected with our bodies? This can mean a lot of different things, right? This, this involves everything from our gender, our age. Uh, it involves our culture, our background. It involves uh, a lot of the things that, uh, that, that help define us if we think about uh, who we are. Are we tall? Are we short? Are we, uh, are we uh, this kind of personality on the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, or are we this kind of personality? There are so many things that play into that. And then there's also factors that can affect us, like what kind of food can we handle? What are we allergic to? What kind of medicine uh, would work for us? What kind of things uh, have we taken that are substances that are harming us? What do we do with our bodies that has affected us uh, from, from our, our uh, our exercise, to uh, what we do with our, our, our sex lives, to what we do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis where we're breathing air that might be really uh, pure in the mountains or not as uh, pure as we are in the city, right? There's so many different ways that our bodies really impact our mood. Um, I was really, really um, blessed to think about a, a a professor that I actually had way back in seminary um, named Dr. Ted Martinez. Um, at the time, I was just coming out of the, the music business, and I was trying to be the next Justin Timberlake. And for a variety of reasons, that was not working out. Um, still didn't totally stop me yet, but I was really experiencing a lot of self-hatred from, from that era of going, why, why, why was I so interested in this dream and, and I don't look a certain way and I don't sound a certain way and I don't dance a certain way and all this stuff was going on as I was retreating into seminary. And I got into this uh, world missions class and uh, Ted Martinez is an older gentleman that um, he's, he's Mexican but he's the kind of, he's, he looks like you, you really can't tell what his background is and you could probably guess a lot of things and be like, oh, I could see that, I could see that. And he started to share his story of growing up in Orange County where all his friends were blonde and blue-eyed. And he thought, wow, I need to be the model minority here and this is really hard. Everybody's so different from me, but I can't complain about it. I can't be the, the one that's the, the guy that's always rocking the boat, right? And it wasn't until he became a missionary that he discovered, oh, Maybe God knew what he was doing, because what ended up happening is he did missions in Latin America, and they're like, okay, he could be Latin American, and he fit in. And then he went to Asia, and they were like, yeah, I guess he could be Asian, and he fit in. And then he went to the Middle East, and they were like, well, yeah, I guess he could be Middle Eastern, and he fit in there. And what he realized in that process was that maybe God knew exactly what he was doing when he designed him. Maybe 
He was shaped exactly the way he was for a reason. And that became such a powerful story for me as a, as a young man going, whoa, maybe God did not make a mistake when he made me. Maybe he knew exactly what he was doing. And I hope that's encouraging for some of you guys today too. I get to talk with clients a lot about this where they, they, they come into therapy and it almost sounds like they're, they're, they're working through the, the pain of, their, of their, their age, their gender, their sexual orientation, the, the place that they grew up. Um, I'm thinking particularly about uh, a young man that I, I've worked with who's he's gay, he's Mexican, he's from a small town in the South, and he grew up in the Baptist church. Yeah, and all God's people said, oof. <laughs> you can imagine how difficult that was and the struggle that he faced being othered, being different, but also at the same time feeling like I need to get it together so that everybody uh, can, can think that I'm such a great guy, I've got, I've got my act together, I've got everything perfect, just to get to baseline and be equal with everybody else. You can imagine how that affected his mood, his depression, his anxiety, his desire to fit in, right? Who we are shapes us and why we want to make peace with our story and ourselves becomes even more important. Um, how, do I, how do I frame this? Actually, go back to the, the slide uh, with the verse on it. Uh, yeah, since I skipped this, this has been such a helpful way for me to think this exact uh, process through. Oftentimes we think about the great commandment. We go, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Check, that sounds great. I'm, maybe I'll actually meet them someday. But yeah, that sounds like a nice verse. But what we don't realize are a couple really key things here, right? Jesus says, look at the bolds. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you ever notice the implication of that? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's almost an implied idea that we actually learn to love ourselves. Now that sounds not Christian, Greg. Well, hey, Jesus said that's the greatest commandment, right? And here's where we normally see it play out. You ever know those people that like feel really, really loved and they, they, they experience so much like love and confidence in themselves that they don't spend a lot of time having to worry about what other people are thinking of them. They're so much more present for other people, aren't they? And then think about the opposite, right? Think about the person that, that experiences a lot of self-hatred, a lot of self-condemnation. Their capacity can often be so low that they don't have the ability to love their neighbor as well as they'd like to, right? Sometimes we even experience where people have so much uh, anxiety and insecurity around themselves that, and, and so much self-hatred that they're actually actively hating their neighbor and not even realizing that that's not what, jo what Jesus has called them to. Another thing that, that I think is important about this verse on the next slide is how we're called to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, right? What do we see there? Integration strikes again, right? How we love God, how we love other people, and how we love ourselves happens all over the place. It's heart, mind, soul, strength, right? Perfect integration, biopsychosocial. So let's move on to the, the psychology part. Um, 
some of you guys uh, may not even realize that psychology did not originate with Dr. Sigmund Freud. Uh, long before there were formal psychologists, the church was all over this thing. In fact, the word psychology, if you break that up into the Greek, psyche, which means breath or principle of life, or you got it, soul, with lochia or ology, means speech, word, or reason. It's reasoning through the soul. It's researching and getting in touch with the soul. It's soul care. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, you have the church, the, the, the priests of old who are doing soul care, who are hearing people's deepest confessions and guiding them through the, the angst and the pain of life. Psychology itself is an inherently Christian healing practice. Now, what does that look like uh, for us as we think about the connection that we experience uh, as we experience the desire to have psychological healing? Well, we know a lot of things matter to, to us. What happens to our minds? What happens to the way that we think? What happens to the way that that our processes are influenced? What happens to the way that we experience the pain that we've gone through in our story? What happens through our childhood as we've experienced uh, happy memories and sometimes really hard memories? A lot of times what we're looking at when we do the, psycholo the psychological part of the assessment is trauma. And trauma is a, a big word that's thrown around these days. It, it's basically the idea that, that an event happened that was really difficult and you've, in some way, shape, or form, are still feeling the effects of that after it's done. And for some of us, we've, we've lived in pain from, from childhood on. And some of us, we've experienced a very recent kind of psychological trauma. But in all cases, it would be weird if that didn't affect us, right? If we, were in a, uh, if we had a, a traumatic uh, event, like we went to, to war or we were in a car accident or something uh, really sad happened where we lost uh, a parent very suddenly when we were a kid, all of those things should shape us because they are really forming to who we are and what our stories become. And so we want to be really delicate and careful with those things, understand how they happen and why they happen. And then there's also a lot of things that continue to influence us psychologically in, in the here and now too, right? Um, what are we putting into our brains? Sometimes we, uh, we get to come to, to church and hear an inspiring sermon from Evan, uh, but more often than not, what we're probably doing is we're taking in a lot of data, a lot of information uh, from news, from social media, from our phones. And so uh, I, I kind of half jokingly put on the bottom, but not totally jokingly, even right, like how much time do you spend on your phone and what are you looking at and doing on there? Um, if we're spending hours a day taking in news that is upsetting to us or we're playing the comparison game on our phones, all of that that's going to affect our mood, right? And what kind of connections we're experiencing psychologically. Um, next slide. What's happening in our social lives becomes a lot of the reason a lot of people end up seeking therapy with me. Most of the time there's something going on um, in their relational world that is a bit of a rupture. Um, so if you think about uh, loneliness, if you think about should I or should I not marry them? Should I or should I not get a divorce? My kids are out of control. My parents are out of control. My, uh, my support system has changed a lot because I just moved and I'm in this new city where all of a sudden I don't know anyone. Um, 
I feel like nobody really gets me around here, and I, I don't know what to do about that. I feel like I even was at this old church, and they didn't quite treat me well, and now I don't know what to do with that, because if I leave there, I'm going to be isolated and lonely, but if I stay there, I'm also going to be hurt, right? There can be so many social ruptures that really cause us to uh, experience depression or anxiety or a change in our mood. And so you can imagine then why connection becomes so important, right? What we're seeking in all of these cases are healthy connections, aren't they? I want to know that my relationships socially can be healthy. I want to be psychologically healthy. I want to be healthy in my body so that my mood won't have to be affected by what, what's going on physically, right? All of these things come together and form a really important psychosocial assessment for how we're going to be doing, how we're going to be thriving. Um, another way to kind of think through this is uh, if we go to the Maslow's hierarchy slide, Nate. Um, this is a really popular term in psychology world. Um, basically, uh, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist who realized that we have all kinds of needs in our life, right? Uh, they're biopsychosocial needs. But what happens when um, the bottom rung gets threatened? Well, everything else topples, doesn't it? So for example, let's say I am drowning uh, and am I, while I'm drowning and, and trying desperately to get air, am I thinking, gee, you know, I wonder where I'm going to volunteer on Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, right? I'm thinking, I need oxygen now, and I will claw through anyone or anything that gets in my way, right? We're not thinking about, uh, you know, our social lives, and would this be socially acceptable for me to, to, to scratch somebody so I can get up there for air? No. All that matters is that bottom rung, right? Now, here's what happens most of the time as it relates to our biopsychosocial assessment, is socially, we really, really desire connection, right? We desire family and friendship and intimacy and belonging, self-esteem. We really desire to be at peace with ourselves and our story, self-actualization. We really desire peace with God and the desire to, to serve and live meaningful lives of purpose. And something happens where we experience a pain or a trauma, and all of a sudden, we don't feel safe anymore. We start feeling really insecure, and so the rest of that gets toppled, right? Many of you guys, maybe you were in a relationship where you're like, I don't know. Are they cheating on me? Maybe, you're in a, maybe you had a, a parent growing up where, where you didn't know whether they were going to be uh, really happy that day or in a really bad mood. What happens when we get into a, a, a relational world like that? Well, all of a sudden, guess what? We're looking for safety way more than we're looking for the connection. And what happens when we live a life where all the time we are seeking safety is we don't end up getting the connection that we actually desire. So sometimes what we need to be doing is telling ourselves how we can look for not just connection, but how can we feel safe enough to look for that connection? And if we're not in a safe place, what does that mean? How do we start looking for safety in our lives? 
How do we start helping other people to feel safe in their lives so that they can get to those places of meaningful connection? Um, what I want you guys to do at your table a little bit um, is to think about your own sense of safety and also your, your connections and how that's related. What kind of connections are you needing to examine in your own life right now? Are they the biological ones, psychological or spiritual ones? Are they the social ones? What really stood out to you and how can you, uh, how can you invest in those a little bit? So go ahead, take a, take a few minutes to talk about that and then we'll come back up and uh, talk about some practical ways to deal with our anxiety, yeah. All right, did we diagnose everybody at our table? Yeah, I love the confidence over here. Like, oh yeah, we, we pulled out our, our DSM-5 and we went to town. Oh yeah. Um, so, a lot, of, a lot of folks, at least at my table, were saying, yeah, but, it's, it's the psychological part because I'm, I'm thinking about, about this all day or I, or I get all in my head and, I, and, and, and I, I'm trying to figure out the problem but I can't figure out the problem and where, ah, where do I go, right? And maybe some of you guys are here today because you heard anxiety and you went, ding, hey, that sounds like uh, something my friend needs to hear about. Um, don't worry, I, I know your friend. I'm your friend. <laughs> anxiety, what is it and how do I find help with it? That sounds like a great thing to explore. Well, let's take a look. First of all, what is anxiety? Well, anxiety is an emotion that's characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes uh, like increased blood pressure. Um, some of you guys described a few ways that that had manifested physically for you. And anxiety, this is actually really important. It's actually normal. It is a normal emotion. It's your brain's way of reacting to stress and alerting you of potential dangers ahead, right? Some anxiety makes a lot of sense and you probably should be feeling it. The classic one, right? If, if, if somebody's chasing you uh, or a bear is chasing, I don't know where the bear comes from all the time, but if a bear is chasing you, you better be anxious. You're not gonna sit there and go, you know, do I really need to be afraid of the bear? No, you're, you're, you're running, right? You're feeling anxious for a good reason. And there's so many things in our life that have happened to us that have made us feel anxious in the moment for good reason. Your body is protecting you. Uh, let's continue on as we think about common reasons that you might be experiencing anxiety a little bit more than a bear uh, chasing you. Feeling disconnected, lonely, or misunderstood. Oftentimes, we can feel anxious for all those reasons that we talked about in part one. We are missing connection. And when we're missing connection, that can make us feel really anxious about, well, why am I lonely? What's the future gonna look like? Where am I gonna get that connection from if I'm not getting it right now? That's maybe your body's, <clears throat> excuse me, your body's way of saying, yeah, let's be anxious so that we can move into a place of greater connection, right? Maybe there's stress at home with family or some of your other close relationships. Anxiety is your way of saying, yeah, I, I probably need to address the stressor in my home life. Same thing could be said, uh, work, school, or finances. Gosh, we were just talking about, once again, San Diego came in as the number one most expensive city in the world to live in, right? So we get bragging rights, but we don't get a whole lot else out of that. 
it is, that can be a really anxious thing as we're thinking about how do I, how do I live in this place that I love? Uh, maybe you feel like, like there's a, a, a loss or a lack of control in your life. If, if you're feeling controlled by a person or you're feeling controlled by a situation that you, you, you're not managing, of course you're going to be anxious. You're, you're trying to think, how do I get uh, control back of my life? Maybe you're thinking about uncertainty in the news or in culture or in, around the world, political events. My gosh, we even think back three years ago, our entire world went through a gigantic stressor, right? All of a sudden, you can't go outside anymore because there's this thing going on called the pandemic. And I don't know how many times I need to wash my hands. I don't know if I have to wear a mask. I have some people saying, get a shot or you'll die. Some people saying, don't get a shot or you'll die. I don't know what to do, right? We, it's an anxious time. We need to respond those ways or else we don't know what to do to move forward. Uh, Major life changes are another way that we experience anxiety, right? Or the anticipation of a major life change. Could be anything from, again, a, a big move, a career change, a marital status, a graduation, a retirement. Um, again, it could be a, a shift in beliefs or values, processing doubts or existential questions about the meaning of life. This is huge, right? We often don't think about this as uh, just an issue uh, outside of our spiritual lives, but it would be weird if our spiritual lives didn't affect our levels of anxiety. Why? Because what we believe about who is God, what we believe about the community of faith I'm supposed to be in, what do I believe about how I'm supposed to make choices that honor God, of course, if that's a new thing for us or if that's shifting in some way, that's going to produce some anxiety, right? What about stressors? Again, we talked about trauma earlier. Sometimes, uh, that could be from childhood on. Sometimes it could be very recent. Uh, stick on that slide. Thank you. And then um, sometimes we get a, a diagnosis. Um, maybe a, there's a change that's happened medically. And uh, we're trying to figure out, oh, well, this just changed everything. Because now the trajectory I thought I'm on is going to be different. Maybe an injury has done that to some of you as well. Uh, and then sometimes it's important to note that we can, we can sometimes have either medication or medical-related uh, issues or diagnoses that might actually end up feeling like anxiety, when in reality, there might be something going on with us medically. And so oftentimes, in, in therapy world, we, we always say, hey, have you, have you seen a doctor? What, what medication are you taking right now? Uh, what supplements have you been taking? Do you have any allergies? Uh, not because we're just trying to grill you for information, but we really want to make sure that you are doing your best to monitor what else could be going on because biopsychosocial, right? Your body could be affecting the level of anxiety that you're experiencing. Um, so let's take a look at what is the difference now between, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, what are some of the symptoms of anxiety that you might have experienced? Um, sometimes it could be shortness of breath, a heartbeat that's going really fast, a lot of tension in your body, it could be uh, sweating. Could be, I feel so fatigued that I want to sleep all the time. Or it could be, I can't sleep at all. It might be trouble concentrating. It might be trouble um, uh, with dizziness or headaches or some kind of thing that, that feels like a, like a brain fog is something I, I hear described a lot. What do, I, what do I know now about the difference between what is that normal anxiety of, yeah, of course I should be responding this way, versus how do I know if this is something that's more uh, ongoing, like an anxiety disorder? Uh, next slide. So again, uh, anxiety, 
Uh, normal, normal reaction can even be helpful and motivational if it's leading us to change and the right kind of life changes. But for an anxiety disorder, um, Sometimes you might have anxious feelings that seem to come out of nowhere. You can't track where that was initiating or coming from. Or it might feel like you're responding to something in the present that happened a long time ago, and you don't know why all of a sudden it feels like it's just happening right now. Maybe it feels like it's so intense or disproportionate to the kind of thing that the event actually was. Like, people might say, hey, this was a really small deal. Why are you having such a big reaction? Um, it might last, instead of just in the moment, it might last for weeks, sometimes months, uh, even, even in some cases could uh, be a struggle for years. It interferes with your day-to-day -day life. It interferes with your job, your work, your relationships. Um, again, some of those physical symptoms might be happening, or it feels impossible to control or manage. Um, in those cases, we, we definitely look for a few things. We look for um, what could be going on medically. In some cases, there might be uh, something going on with your brain chemistry where we say, okay, let's, talk, let's stop and take a look at how long you've had these symptoms. Um, can, you, can you trace them to an origin? Could it be that there is uh, just not enough of the right chemicals going on in your brain, and would that be helpful to, to get further diagnosis? Some cases, we also look back at trauma and we say, oh, yeah, it feels like you're still reliving this traumatic moment over and over again. Um, oftentimes, when we're going through something that hasn't been seen and heard and known and loved well, we keep it in our minds. We keep it in our bodies. It gets stored there until we actually start processing it and dealing with it because it's like your brain, your brain really wants it to come out. It wants, it wants it to be seen and known. And oftentimes that's the difference between um, a short-term trauma and a long-term trauma. A short-term trauma usually happens when somebody is immediately able to process that and share that with somebody that loves them and sees them and knows them. A long-term trauma happens when we feel unsafe, remember Maslow's hierarchy, or insecure about the thing that happened to us. And we say, if I share that, they're gonna be misunderstanding me. They're gonna be mad at me. They're gonna blame me. They're gonna threaten me. They're not gonna love me. They're not gonna want me around, right? And so we store that until we have the ability to process through that with somebody that can actually see and love us. So if we think through that, that event, that thing that is initially causing us to get anxious. What do we do with that now? Well, there's thankfully a lot that we can do with it. Um, next slide. Um, don't worry, you don't have to take a picture. We're gonna go through all these things one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. But what I wanted you to see is we're gonna have a lot of opportunities tonight to think through ways that we can manage our anxiety. Some of these might work great for you. Some of these you might be like, Greg, that was terrible. I tried it 10 times and I never want to do that again. Awesome, I'm so glad you tried. Go team. Uh, let's work through each one of these one at a time and let's see what works well for you, okay? Um, so the first one is just uh, to basically do a self check-in. Maybe, maybe there is an anxious moment where you actually get a chance to say, is there, is there something going on in my life that I can process? Is there a problem that I can deal with? just by looking inward. So uh, I think about a time in my life that I was super anxious. Um, I was about to, I was about to have uh, my voice change. 
Um, that was a very anxiety-producing time, that's for sure. Uh, the time I was thinking of, though, was um, I was about to go back to school to get my, uh, my psychology degree. And I thought, you know what? I have college ministry experience. I've got music business experience. Um, I, I love Nashville. What if I move to Nashville and I work in the, the counseling office at Belmont University with a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds? And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be so much fun. Now, on the surface, that, sound, that sounds great. Like, yeah, Greg did his biopsychosocial assessment, and everything checks out with his story. He should go and do that, right? What was the problem? Ah, well, there was a lot going on in my story that I was not being honest with myself about. Um, for one, uh, I, was, I was a gay Christian that hadn't come out yet to anybody other than one person that I really loved, and I didn't know what to do, how to integrate my story, how to be seen and known and loved for who I was. I also had been dealing with this kind of feeling of like persistent, um, really, really mild depression that I had never dealt with because I thought, well, I'm functioning pretty well. I also had mild ADHD that I thought, oh, you know what, if I, I, just, need to, I just need to get my act together and, and, and just, just, stop, just stop being lazy and just stop complaining. And then I also had a lot of shame from trying to figure out how do I tell people all of these things and will they, will they actually love me for who I am even if I struggle on all of these levels? What I needed to do was confront my anxiety, confront the fear and start being known and loved for who I was. And so that's when I really did the hard work of biopsychosocial assessment where I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the hard work in therapy. I'm gonna do the hard work of, of getting on some medication. I'm gonna do the hard work of saying, I'm going to start deepening my bench with people who really can understand every part of me. And as terrifying as that is, I need to be known. I need to know that people can love me for who I am and not for who I project myself to be. That was the thing I really needed to get through the great majority of my anxiety. That was a problem that took a long time to resolve, but it did require a lot of self-check-in and a lot of problem-solving. As you guys think about your own story, maybe you're here tonight and you're going, you know what, I resonate with some part of that. There's a part of me that I, I kind of feel like I'm anxious because I'm not really known for who I am. I'm, I'm projecting this kind of false version of me and maybe, maybe I need to come out in some way, shape or form and start letting people love me for who I am. And that is scary. And I do validate the heck out of how scary that is. And that requires a great deal of hard work, but it's so worth it because you get to a place of peace at the end of that. Also, we need to look at what are, what are some ways that I have taken a next step and what are some ways that I haven't? What have I already done that's, that's moved me in that direction that was healthy and what has been unhealthy? Now, maybe I think for the vast majority of us, we're at a place where we're saying, okay, I, I, I want to face the anxiety, I have, and yet there's still a lot of day-to-day -day stuff, Greg, right? There's still a lot of, okay, I'm getting up and I have 100 things to do before 7 a.m. There's still the stuff of like, yeah, but my boss. There's still a lot of stuff that's like, yeah, but again, we live in San Diego and finances. How do we deal with the day-to-day -day anxiety? A lot of that is just coping. 
how do we find great coping strategies that can really help us through those things um, versus unhealthy coping strategies? One of the other quotes that you'll hear all the time if, you, if you're uh, with me in therapy is, uh, not why the addiction or the bad habit, why the pain? Uh, usually there's something going on that keeps us uh, going back to a bad habit. Instead of numbing out, what if we do something that's healthy? What if we do a healthy coping strategy? So tonight we're going to learn a few of those. Hopefully they'll be fun. Let's move on to the next slide. Hey, we're in church, so I had to do this one. Um, prayer and liturgy. Um, thankfully we're reminded in scripture, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your Ah, anxiety on him, that's God. Why? Because he cares for you. He actually is inviting us to be care casters onto him. What I find in that process is sometimes we can get really vague in church world. Lord, just, I just pray that, you know, like, you'll just, like, heal stuff and stuff. And, you know, and we'll, we'll get into these environments where we'll, we'll, we'll be as unspecific as possible in our community groups, or maybe we'll be uh, really vague even in our prayer life with God. Sometimes we need to get as honest with God as we would with a, with a bestie and just sit down and be like, you know what? Today sucked, God. And let me tell you, I, I, I hated that I feel like I'm about to go bankrupt, and I hate my boss, and I don't know what to do. Like, God can handle it. He's inviting us to cast how much of our anxiety? All of it onto him. Now, sometimes we also feel like prayer can be a struggle. I'm more in that boat, especially when I get anxious. I know some of you guys are like, seek for Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to be the first person that's seeking the Lord every time. And like, I love you guys. And I'm like going numb sometimes when I'm experiencing anxiety. I, I, it's like I got no words, nothing to say. Scripture even says, you know what, that's okay. God can even take our groans. Sometimes the most spiritual prayers I've ever heard are, Ugh. But you know what? The other thing that can really help me are prescripted words. You know, we've got scripture that is filled with beautiful prayers. We've got great things like uh, the Apostles' Creed or uh, the, the Book of Common Prayer or a lot of uh, great books that have pre-designed, pre-written things that we can actually read off when words are really hard to come by. We can say, you know what? I don't have the words. Maybe I'll just say them. Maybe I'll just sing them. And God can, God can know that, that that's what I would have said if I had the ability to think right now. Next slide. Um, talk to someone. Now, when we're feeling healthy, I think a lot of us know that, yeah, we've, we've got, a, we've got a, a few safe people maybe in our life that we could probably turn to. And that's great. What happens when we feel really anxious, though? We start lying to ourselves about the people that want to be there for us. We start saying, oh, no, they don't want to hear from me when I'm like this, right? So what I often recommend is that we actually make a list of those safe people that we can call on while we're feeling healthy so that when we're tempted to believe the lie that they won't actually be there for us, we can know that, oh, when I was healthy, I told myself I could do this. Sometimes we even need to warn them ahead of time. Like, hey, is it okay if I call you when I'm anxious? Like, I know that this, this happens to me every once in a while. Would you be down for that? 
And then that way, when we're getting to that anxious place, we've already worked through that idea in our mind that, okay, they already told me that I have an open invitation. Um, this is also a great excuse to see a therapist. Hey, it's almost like I believe in therapy. Who would have guessed? Um, so those top two are the, the places where I work. Uh, Oasis Counseling Group uh, is where I do my, um, my individual practice. I work with a phenomenal team there of some of the most inspiring people. Um, and then Shoreline Recovery Center is the uh, drug and alcohol uh, rehab clinic. You can take a look at that. Maybe uh, if, you're, if you're in that boat today. Um, but if one of those things doesn't work out, did you know there is an entire online Rolodex of so many therapists on psychologytoday.com? What's really cool is you can actually see all their, their specialties, their prices, their location, all their things that they've done in their, in their experience, in their background. You can find somebody that like will get your unique place in life and go, ah, oh, I think this person might actually understand what's going on in my life. I want to contact them. And that's a great opportunity to just feel seen and known. Um, I think as it relates to, again, that big word connection, we also need to take a step of faith towards that. What are ways that we can increase the amount of connections in our day-to-day -day life? Well, for some of us, we might start with something like a support group. Um, an opportunity to find somebody like us. Uh, again, Addiction World knows this really well. I think the reason that programs like, like Alcoholics Anonymous are so popular, it's not because uh, it always has the best curriculum or the best facilitator. It's because people are really honest and really connecting very vulnerably. They feel supported when they go there and they all of a sudden have community of people that get them. Um, Grief is another huge one that I believe in. In fact, um, so much so that I'm actually starting a grief group uh, in, on November 15th. If you have recently lost somebody or you know somebody that's going through a, a, a loss, I would love to hear from you guys. We're going to just do a five-week group about how you can survive the holidays uh, while you're grieving because that could be a particularly tough time, and we'd love to help you walk through that. Um, and then, hey... How about things like community groups? Hey, we believe in those at Park Hill, right? How many of you guys are in a community group? Oh, yes, I love that. That's so great. We designed these community groups to not just be places where you, you show up and learn some information on purpose. Um, uh, Sandy Wickham, our, our co-lead pastor, when, when we were talking through this idea uh, about a year and a half ago when I moved down here, the goal of this for her, and in fact, the theme of 2022 was family. We really desire to create family within the family of God. Sometimes that can be hard when there's hundreds of people, but we can do that in a smaller way because we know that God designed us. Why? For connection. And then finally, join a fun group. One of my favorite things that I've been kind of prescribing lately as a therapist is, um, have you guys ever heard of meetup.com, anybody? Yeah, this is a really cool website, and it's not the only place to find something fun, but basically, we can increase the amount of fun in our life and connection at the same time, right? So if you're like, I want some friends, I need some friends, where am I going to find them? Well, I know I like to go hiking, or I know I like book clubs, or I know I like cooking classes. Um, 
maybe you go on to meetup.com and you can find people all over San Diego that like the same kinds of things and you can actually join a really fun group. And in fact, I actually, I'm not just a therapist telling you to do it, I'm also a client. So I found a gay game night in San Diego, whoop whoop, and it's been lovely. It's like the most G-rated, like nerdy, wonderful thing and I've uh, made some friends there. We might actually get a couple of them even coming to our Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, it's been so sweet and it becomes a really oppor great opportunity for connection and for a little bit of self-care and fun too. All right, next slide. Schedule your anxiety time. Well, Greg, I'm anxious all the time. Yes, I know, that's exactly the point. Um, sometimes we need to find a way to limit it. So some of us just need to give ourselves permission to say, I'm gonna be anxious for an hour, but then the alarm's gonna go off and I'm, I have done enough thinking for today. Some of us also make, need to make sure that we limit conversations with people that drain the life out of us. How do we do that? Hey, so glad we could connect. I just wanna let you know, I need to go in 20 minutes, okay? Some of us need to limit our social media and our news websites because we are just getting outraged over and over, but we're not actually getting something new out of it. Find what you need to find. Go, cool, I know what's going on in so-and-so's life. Cool, I know what's going on in the world. We're limiting that. There's even a part of your, of your phones that, that allows you to uh, shut down certain websites or apps after X amount of minutes. And that's been really helpful for me. I have that on my phone. Uh, next slide. Writing and journaling. Um, a really cool practice that I learned is something called a brain dump. <laughs> and there's something really powerful about just getting out, not just your, your computer, but like an actual piece of paper and a pen and just letting yourself go nuts in a way where nobody is going to see it, read it, judge you for it. You can just get out every anxious thought, throw it down on a page. And there's something really powerful about actually experiencing it going from your head through your arm and hand and onto the piece of paper. It's like, <sighs> It actually went somewhere. That felt really good, okay. And then sometimes, you know what's really fun? You get to crumble it and like basketball it into the trash. Be like, yeah, we're done with that for today, right? Or rip it, you know? Just let yourself have that moment of saying, I give myself permission to be done. Um, sometimes though, when we're, when we're writing, we actually like to retrace our steps a bit. We retrace our logic, we retrace our anxious thoughts. Uh, how many of you guys like to journal? Anybody? Oh, wow, a lot of you guys, that's great. Isn't it so amazing when we go back in time a little bit and we see, oh, I was really anxious about that. I didn't even remember that that thing happened. Anybody have that experience besides me? Yeah, quite a few of you, yeah. Sometimes it's really, really beautiful to remind ourselves that that thing that felt like the end of the world might not actually be the end of the world. Uh, next step. That connects very well to this idea. Remember when you got through it before. Has anyone ever had the thought, I am never going to get through this? Yeah. I've had some of those really, really hard moments in my, in my life too. The, the, the deep heartbreak, um, the loss of my mom, um, the way that, that I thought, um, yeah, some of my dreams were never going to come true. Those are devastating moments. And I remember that exact thought. I will never, ever get through this and be okay again. 
Because that's what it really felt like at the time. And as much as it felt like that, was it actually true? I made it here at least. And you know what? As you guys probably think back on some of those times for yourself, you probably didn't think you'd make it here either, right? But you did. That's a really powerful tool for you to go back and look at. You get a chance to say, whoa, I never thought I would get through this, but I did. Maybe, maybe I can get through this thing that I'm going through now. What did I do before that was helpful? Sometimes even just the practice of gratitude can get you back to that place. God, thank you for rescuing me from that horrible situation. God, thank you for being my savior when I really needed some saving. God, thank you for bringing that person into my life that loved me so well when I thought no one ever would. Whatever that thing is, practicing gratitude really helps us get there. Uh, Next slide. Um, Breathing, meditation, and grounding exercises. What's all that about? Um, I mentioned I have mild ADHD, so this one, I I mean, when I say I suck at it, I mean, I'm so bad at it. So much so that, uh, that uh, one, one, of, uh, one of my dear friends that I get to live with uh, has often said, Greg, are you breathing right now? And I go, no, I don't want to breathe. Um, so what I've had to learn how to do is utilize some other kinds of tools and tactics that will help me to do this if I'm not naturally a very peaceful person. So one thing I like to do when I'm doing the breathing exercise is attach words to it. Um, When I breathe in, I'm going to breathe in a word. When I breathe out, I'm going to breathe out a word. So for example, if I want to experience God's peace and get rid of my anxiety, then I'm going to actually think about the word peace when I breathe in. And then I'm going to blow my anxiety out all the way across the room. Bye-bye, anxiety. Peace. Bye-bye, anxiety. And by attaching words to it, it feels like I'm actively doing something rather than just telling myself to breathe. Sometimes naming things out loud can be really helpful. Um, It can really get me to be uh, really present in the moment. If I'm all over the place and thinking 100 thoughts, about, about stuff that's going on in the future or somewhere else. I can just stop and go, okay, what do I actually see right now? I see, I see wood on the floor. It's got, it's got a light sort of uh, gradient to it. I see uh, a, a round um, a bar top table. I see two bar top chairs that we didn't end up using. I see the sound equipment. What did I just do? I just made myself really present in the room, right? And you know what was funny? While I was describing that, I actually forgot what I was doing here. I forgot I was teaching a seminar. I will, all I was doing was just describing some things. Maybe for some of you guys that can't get out of the anxious thought, just naming things in the room could be really helpful. A great way to do this if you, if you have some time uh, and you're feeling like you, you want to kind of have like a mini retreat is something called a, a grounding exercise. You actually go outside and you put your bare feet onto the ground and you start really engaging your five senses. What do I see right now? What do I hear? What do I taste? What do I smell? What do I touch? And you utilize, um, you utilize nature, you utilize uh, fresh air. You get a chance to engage all of your senses in a way that brings you back down to earth a little bit. Uh, next slide. Physical activity. I hear exercise is supposed to be good for you. Um, 
Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, we go hard and we sweat and it really helps me get the anxiety out. I, God bless you. I love you for that. Um, some of us need other kinds of activities that, that can help us with this. Um, sometimes finding a, a healthy release for our anger can actually be really helpful. Um, I get a lot of clients who are just really out of touch with their anger, and especially in Christian world, because we were told, well, it's a sin to be angry. It's a sin to be mad, right? Like, I'm not supposed to be angry. Oh, wait, wait, now I'm feeling anxious about being angry, but I'm not supposed to be anxious either, right? And we start getting very much in our, into our place of self-condemnation. And what if we don't actually have to judge ourselves for that, but in the privacy of our own uh, moments, we can release that in a healthier way than uh, bottling it up and then getting angry on a person. Some, of, some people I work with love yelling into a pillow or yelling in their car. Um, I've got some people that love breaking stuff. You've heard, anybody been to a rage room before? I have. I loved it. It was so funny. I laughed like you couldn't believe. Um, we actually have a, a, a brish, uh, sorry, a brish. We have a dish breaking ministry at our house. You come over sometimes and we're just like, you know what? You haven't been angry in a long time, huh? Yeah, let's go outside. We're going to break a dish today. Yeah. Um, sometimes just a, a real quick, like, uh, I'm going to stomp on the ground. And then sometimes we just need to dance it out, you know? I had a really stressful meeting with some people uh, a, a few months ago, and we, we bopped out, uh, to some Katy Perry in like ways that we have never bopped before. And you know what? We felt a lot better after. Sometimes we just need to pay attention to our heart rate, especially with anxiety. We can, we can experience our hearts going really fast. What are some ways we can calm down our heart rate? Maybe it's splashing some water on our face or conversely, getting some warm water. Maybe it's, it's we get some, some, uh, some nice candles or some, some nice uh, lotions from uh, Bath and Body Works. Maybe we, if we're, if we're feeling like really like in shock or really numb, we just kind of, I'm just going to jump like, I just need to get up off the couch. I just need to get out of bed, and I'm just going to jump or put my feet on solid ground. We do something that changes our heart rate with physical activity. Next slide. Do something fun. So I talked about my, my game night. Uh, a lot of times, we just need to find something that can actually just say, you know what? I have tortured myself long enough. I'm going to do something fun. Maybe it's a, a show that always makes you laugh and kind of feels like hanging out with an old friend. Um, maybe it's playing a, a, a game for you. Maybe it's, it's a puzzle and you need to kind of do something with your, with your hands. Um, maybe it's using your creative skills. You, you do some music or you, you paint or you do something that's creative that has nothing to do with being artsy-fartsy. Um, uh, I have uh, a friend that, uh, that, for example, he's obsessed with the show Survivor. And so much so that he likes to track the activities of the players uh, in an Excel sheet. And you know what? That's great fun for him. And it's creative for him. And it really helps him to, to experience joy and come out of uh, you know, a place of, of thinking about other things too much. Whatever that thing is, give yourself permission to engage in something that really feels fun and brings you joy. Next slide. 
Uh, medication, let's talk about that for a minute. There's a, there are a lot of stigmas, I think, in church world still around medication. Um, oftentimes, we might have even uh, heard that, you know, oh, I, I just need to pray harder, or I, I can't have uh, any medication because um, that's going to that's gonna change, change my mood in a way that is, is, is different than what God intended, and it's not spiritual. And I, I just want to say, like, first of all, I totally get why you are concerned about that. Um, of course, we don't want to just automatically jump to toward medication without thinking through the reasons we're, we're anxious or depressed or having a, a mood change that, that we can't quite explain on our own. What we never want to do is assume, first of all, that that's the only place we can go. What we do want to do is say, have we tried a lot of things and we're still experiencing the same kinds of feelings over and over over a long period of time. And is it possible that medication might really be helpful? I also know in, in, in Christian world, we, we don't judge ourselves for a lot of other kinds of medication or uh, medical uh, surgeries or advice that we, that we get from doctors. Uh, you know, for example, if, if, we had a, if we had a heart condition, would we be judging our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ for taking heart medication? Of course not, right? So why would we judge somebody if they're taking medication for uh, something that, that's maybe more neurologically based? So what, what could that look like? So the most popular kinds of, um, of medication for anxiety are called SSRIs. It's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Basically, serotonin is a is a as a drug that your brain naturally has in 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 there. And what happens? I'm not a doctor, clearly, but uh, the very simple explanation of this is. What happens when our brain chemistry can be a little off is sometimes our serotonin gets reuptaked too fast. And when it gets reuptaked too fast or reabsorbed into the system, that means we have less serotonin in our brains. And when there's less serotonin, it's a lot harder for our brain to experience peace, joy, all those kinds of things. And through no fault of our own, through no fault of our prayer life, what we do is we say, oh, maybe, just maybe, it might actually be helpful to slow down a little bit that process so that it's not reuptaked so fast, but I can actually have more serotonin available in my system. I know a lot of folks who, who silently struggle with this idea of medication. Um, I, so I, I'm always happy to share. I, I'm on Lexapro. That's one of the common ones. It's kind of the gold standard of SSRIs. Um, but I know a lot of folks uh, in, uh, here in Christian world, a lot of amazing, faith, uh, faithful, incredible people of God that are on medication. There's no judgment if you feel like that needs to be your next step. And then last but not least, da-da-da-da. Look upon yourself with grace and compassion, please. Sometimes we have such, such harsh criticism for ourselves for being anxious, as opposed to saying, wow, why am I being so mean to myself? What if we ask ourselves, would Jesus be this mean to me? Or what if we ask ourselves, wow, how crazy is the world right now? Yeah, that makes sense. What if we ask ourselves, hey, what's actually, again, good and beautiful about my anxiety? 
How has it helped me? Thank you, anxiety, for making sure I didn't stay stuck in that relationship. Thank you, anxiety, for making sure that, um, that I took a step towards meeting my, my goals for my dreams and my future. Maybe we ask ourselves, am I anxious because I'm trying to do everything for everyone? Have I been that mom that needed to do everything? Have I been that, that, uh, that pastor? Have I been that, that small group leader? Have I been that coworker that needed to accomplish everything under the sun? And we just sometimes need to remind ourselves, wait a minute, who's the real savior of the world? <laughs> Is it true that the job of savior of the world was already taken? Yes. A- yes and amen. Thank you, Jesus, for actually being the savior. What about for you guys? What, what does this look like in your life? Uh, next slide. Um, what we're going to just do again at our tables for a few minutes is what, what coping strategy would you like to try or what coping strategy would you like to increase in your life? Go ahead, take a few minutes at your table to, to, to kind of name one of those. Maybe you want to write it down so you don't forget it and, uh, and really just share like, hey, here's the next step I'm going to take with it. All righty. Wrapping up the convos. We all have perfect coping strategies in mind for our future, I'm sure. I'm getting one thumb up and I love that. Yes, remember, if you forget almost everything that I said, that's great if you leave with one thing that you can do to take a next step towards experiencing some freedom from your anxiety. We love that, that's gonna be great. Um, before we dive into the questions, uh, if we go back to the, the, uh, my slides real quick, I just wanted to talk about um, one, of my, one of my little f- uh, fun projects that, uh, that I've been working on with uh, one of my best friends, Josh Bales, who's a fellow uh, therapist, pastor, songwriter guy. As, uh, it's a project we're calling The Healing Church. It's, a, it's basically a book, uh, workshops, uh, all kinds of fun things about how God designed the church to be inherently healing for us. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at what some of that can look like. For example, church itself. Um, What if God designed church to be inherently a healing gospel rehab center? Well, what do I mean by that? Um, Well, first of all, Jesus talks about coming for uh, not, not not the healthy, but those who are sick. Not the righteous, but the sinners, right? We want to be a, a, a rehab center, in a way, for sinners. And so this gives us the opportunity to be that kind of corrective experience where we get a chance to say, all are welcome, all are invited into the, to the family of God. We want you to come with not your perfection. We want you to come with all of your stuff. Um, how about worship? Well, there's a couple ways I, I love to think about worship itself that heals. First of all, musical worship is inherently healing. Um, we experience sometimes where we have a feeling where we're dysregulated, right? And what, we, what we've learned psychologically about, about singing in groups is whether it's, it's gospel choirs or tribes in the middle of, uh, of, of African nations, there is a common thread as it relates to group singing together, which is that it releases a couple of chemicals in your body, oxytocin for one, which is kind of uh, what we call the, the love drug. It's the thing that happens when you give somebody a long hug. And you also get that feeling of, um, of dopamine, which is helping you to experience joy. And so when you combine those things, what you're experiencing 
during worship is connection, isn't it? Your brain is wired by God to chemically do something very powerful when we sing worship songs together. We're agreeing in lyrical format. We're saying yes to each other. We're encouraging each other. We're releasing uh, uh, our, our feelings and expressing ourselves to God and to others. It, it really helps to regulate our emotions, and it promotes unity. Um, what about physical acts of worship? Uh, oftentimes, we don't think about what we do physically as a form of worship, but we do so many things that actually ground us uh, and use our senses. So for example, communion is one of my favorite things to think about in this way. We break the body and the blood and we, we, we feel it in our hands. We smell the, the, the juice. We, we drink and taste and see that the Lord is good. We, we experience watching other people, right? And if you think about physicality in our worship, you see this all over the place. Baptism involves immersion. We raise our hands in worship. We kneel in prayer. Uh, for, for Catholics, we do things like signs of the cross and anointing oil and holy water and rosary beads. But even in the most low church environments, we have our own version of that. We'll underline our favorite Bible passages, right? We'll feel the, the old worn leather uh, Bible in our hand, right? All of these things are physical ways that we actually worship God and feel a sense of grounding. How about the idea of, um, of prayer? What is prayer? What is confession? If you think about the way that we talk to God in an honest, relatable way, you look at the Psalms and you see that we can cry out just about anything to God with relational security. Isn't, isn't prayer then all, the ultimate talk therapy in a way? We can come to God knowing that we can say anything we, we need to say in prayer and he is there to listen. And guess what? He doesn't charge as much as I do either. It's pretty awesome. If you think about scriptures, we, we, Evan did such a beautiful job um, talking about the, this this morning, but we're actually invited to participate in the story of God. Like, what? The story that, that goes from the very, very beginning of all creation and ends with, with, with us worshiping God for all of eternity together in perfect connection with one another. We're invited into that story. All of a sudden, that becomes our narrative. We do something in, in, in therapy called narrative therapy, where we're trying to imagine our stories and, and what the story itself is meant to lead to. If we were the hero of our own story, how would we write that narrative? What if the greatest story ever told already includes us? Well, guess what it does. And then how about the idea of community groups? Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier with the idea of family-ing. And the idea is that a lot of us came from family of origins that might have had some, some really tough moments, some tough struggles. Some of us may not even be connected to our family of origin. And that can be really painful, right? But when we enter into the family of God, what if that is meant to be the corrective experience from our family of origin, where we all of a sudden we've got the, fam the better family, the better father in heaven that we look to, we're invited into the forever family that we were meant to be a part of. And then finally, mission. 
Mission itself can be very healing. I can't imagine a greater purpose in life than knowing that the God of the universe chose me and loved me and has a plan for my life and wants to use me and has given me spiritual gifts that I can use to be a blessing to others. Talk about mission, right? Wow. We get such an incredible healing sense of mission when we think about it from the perspective of this idea, this idea of what, is, what are we here for? What is the meaning of life? As Christians, we don't have to worry about that or wonder about that. We've got really good news there. And I hope that you guys really feel encouraged in knowing that you can be used exactly who you are with all your anxieties or non-anxieties, and God's got a great plan for you. So that said, let's get to some of our questions. Evan, you want to come on up and we can... Uh, Dress those together. Greg, thank you. Yeah. This is huge blessing. I can't wait to listen back. So helpful for me. I loved our little group back there in the circle. Um, oh, man. We're going to go through some of these questions. You guys ask good questions. I'm really just going to read them off, and I'm going to have Greg answer. And, um, and I might like double click on a question once in a while to say, that reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you. Yeah, so I'll and I'll be like, that. that reminds me of something else I want you to answer. So we'll see what happens. Oh, you're going <laughs> to kick it back. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, so how, this is, uh, yeah. How do you love someone who needs so much mental health help uh, that he or she is now negatively affecting your life? Yeah, this is... This is a really obviously complicated and, and nuanced question. Thank you for asking it, first of all. Um, and thank you for being here, where you could actually hear maybe a little bit more about what's going on with them. Um, the first thing I'd, I'd probably want to do is really sit down with somebody that can help you process what is the thing itself that is going on that, that can feel like it's really negatively affecting your life. Is it the kind of thing that requires maybe some boundaries where you say, I need to move out, or I need to affect the amount of time I'm spending with you. Is there the kind of thing where, where you are able to say, hey, I've tried this boundary, I've tried this exact um, piece of advice five, 10, 20 times, and you're still not hearing me. What do we do in those cases, right? In those cases, sometimes we, we say, how do I make sure that I'm supported, first of all, who are the people on your bench that do get it, that do support you, that do love you? Who are the people that can uh, process that with you? Who are the people that can go with you sometimes if you have to engage with the difficult person so that you're not alone in it? And then uh, if they are requiring some, uh, the kind of attention that requires further, like uh, either medical attention or psychological attention, obviously there's, there's different ways that, that we can approach that. If they are if they're not incapacitated, it can be really difficult because unfortunately, um, you, you can't always force somebody, right? Um, but you can enforce your own boundaries. You can say, you know what? I'm totally willing to talk to you again if you are willing to go to that AA meeting. I'm willing to engage with you again if you're willing to start therapy. Um, I'm willing to engage with you if you go back on your medication. And if, and if that is, is not possible, I understand that is your choice, and I'm allowed to make my choices too. And that's so, so hard, and I know how painful that is personally uh, in my own story as well. Um, and then sometimes um, if somebody is pretty 
pretty far gone. Obviously, we 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 find resources and we we try to get them the kind of help that they need. Um, and that, that that's a much further uh, and longer conversation. But I hope that that was at least a good start in thinking through that. That's good uh, boundary boundary stuff. Um, I just wanted to take a moment and appreciate our color coordinating. Oh yeah, come yeah. on. Happy fall, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some good faith slash mental health books or podcasts? Just give some recs. Oh, this is a fun one. Yeah. Um, okay, so I love uh, a podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves. Uh, yeah, it's a great podcast that, in, that integrates um, faith and mental health and has very, very specific uh, practical tools you can use in so, so many different ways um, in a way that feels really easy to understand. Um, in fact, there, there are a couple of episodes that I find myself often recommending for people uh, who are starting therapy um, as they're looking at their story in particular as it relates to their childhood um, on what is attachment and, and, and how do I make sense of it. Um, I won't get into all the details of what attachment is, but basically you can think about it as how did my, my childhood end up shaping me as a person? Um, so that's a great, that's a great one. Uh, there's another one on there um, where he interviews a, a guy named Jay Stringer, who is one of my favorite resources on sex and porn addiction. Uh, he wrote a book called Unwanted, and it gives you like a really basic like 101 of like why we end up fantasizing and being attracted to the kinds of things that we're into. All that to say, uh, plenty of other resources too. Um, so I have found, um, oh gosh, where do I, ah, oh, there's so much I, I could recommend. Um, you know what, I'm gonna actually recommend something that, uh, that a friend over here uh, uh, has been, had recommended to me recently that I have been enjoying so much. There's a guy named uh, John Deloney who has a show um, where he gives some, it almost reminded me of like uh, old like you know episodes of Frasier where people called in and they had all these things that, that Dr. Frasier Crane would uh, answer, uh, and he he's a he's a Christian who came out of um, um, the uh, oh, what's it called um, uh, who's the big financial guy Dave Ramsey Dave Ramsey yeah he came out of that organization and, and started doing a lot of uh, a lot of great podcasting really short really pithy very practical tools. Um, and then, yeah, gosh, there's so many books I'm sure I could recommend. You know what? Oh. You, know what I, you know what I'd love to recommend, actually? One of the books that changed my life so much is a book by Brendan Manning, actually, called Abba's Child. Um, even if you just read the first chapter of this. I love Brendan Manning. Oh, my gosh. So Brendan Manning was a, a, a Catholic priest that struggled his whole life with alcoholism. And he talks a lot about, again, not why the addiction, why the pain. In the first chapter, he, he talks about how we project this false version of ourself. And what happens when we do that is everybody ends up loving the false self, the imposter version of ourselves, rather than actually loving us. And the pain that comes from that is we don't actually know whether or not we're lovable, right? That shaped so much of my, my thinking and the way that I, I recognize that need for connection that I've been talking about. Um, so uh, that said, also anything from Gabor Mate or uh, Johan Hari, those are two guys that I, I referenced a lot to, tonight. Uh, you're far more extensively knowledgeable and researched in this field for sure than I am, but I, I took a four-month four um, class on church and mental health in seminary, and I read a couple of books I highly recommend. It's a book called Troubled Minds. 
I forget the name of the author, but she was a contributor to Christianity Today, like a well-known journalist in the church. And her mother, just incredibly, very, very, very difficult mental health story with her mom. And just the church shunning their family because of it. And her riding into a huge gap she felt the church had when it, come, when it came to the mission to those with mental health, and including those who uh, experience anything from unseen, maybe the church can see that they're mentally unhealthy to very overt situations. The church is being ill-equipped for all the scenarios. And so she wrote to equip the church. Um, Troubled Minds, um, really powerful book for me. Um, so thanks for that, Greg. Yeah. Oh, a couple more now that I think of. Any, Brene Brown, she's our queen. And then also, um, believe it or not, Henry Nowen, another, another uh, uh, Catholic priest guy that... Um, that is, has been so influential in my thinking, particularly those of you who are, are the type of people that give and give and give and never, uh, never think to ask for anything in return. Wounded Healer is one of my all-time mm. favorite books. I would love Henry to Nowen, check that out. Anything, Henry Nowen. Oh, so good. Um, oh, I want to go off on Henry Nowen, but I'm not. <laughs> so how much of my mental health struggles and thoughts should I share with my partner? I don't want all of our conversations to feel negative, but... They also want me to be honest about how I'm doing, like looking for the balance of sharing, oversharing, undersharing. Yeah, balance is so is so hard to know like when and how to have capacity. Um, so sometimes there might be even the question around that. Hey, do you have capacity right now? Uh, far more than that, what I often recommend, especially for couples that are that are really working to repair some of their relationship through through mental health struggles um, or through addiction, is um, to schedule an actual check-in time. Oh wow! And by doing that, then there's not hmm. this like myster uh, mysterious like I don't know when I can bring it up. I don't know when we're going to talk about it. I know that whether it's it's you know. Uh, every two days or every two weeks, whatever you guys mutually decide you have capacity for and would feel helpful, then it's so relieving of your anxiety just to know that there is going to be a, a really formal time where we can check in on the things that are most important about what we're going through and, and the struggles and how we can help each other through that. Mm. It's so simple. Schedule it. Schedule That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Scheduled anxiety time. Hey, that was on there, I think. How, how can we tell the difference between mental health issues and spiritual warfare? Like, how do you navigate that conversation? Yeah. Um, the, 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 the main thing that I, I think of in this is that it's probably actually not helpful to say, is it this or this? It's probably yes, right? In the same way that we were talking about biopsychosocial, everything affects everything, I think the same thing can be said here, right? So sometimes um, when we review you know, passages in the New Testament, for example, about um, if somebody is struggling with spiritual warfare or demonization, um, the, the, the modernist might say, well, you know, we, we know now that that was just a mental health struggle. And, and the, the, the conservative reader might say, well, no, that's what it clearly says. It's a spiritual. It's like, you know what? It was probably both, right? If, if, you're, if you're dealing with something demonic, you think that's traumatic? You think that'll affect your spiritual, your, your emotional health? Absolutely. And in the same way that we talked about when our mood is affected and we're feeling down, we're feeling hopeless, we're feeling like we don't know where to engage or how to pray, does that affect us spiritually? 
Absolutely, right? So I think the most helpful thing is to not try to suss out exactly when and where, but to say, let's bring all of ourselves to God. Let's bring all of who we are to, to him in prayer and, 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 and try to find healing in all those areas of our life. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a topic. When you start talking about spiritual warfare, I would have myself more to say uh, than, than uh, a mental health thing, just because that's not my expertise. But I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, the unseen realm and how the scriptures talk about this. And the church has always had language for world, flesh, and devil being conspi conspirators. They're all enmeshed with each other. And our flesh includes our brains. <laughs> it's our body. And so there's the world, there's cultural forces outside, all the anxiety inducers, he said, to schedule away from you, uh, like social media news and things that can just make you freaked out. They, they can come into your flesh, your literal gray matter, and conspire, and then demonic entities can then blast extra juice uh, behind that and start to feed you lies that you don't know. Is that me? Is that the, the news I just read? Is it the enemy? I don't know. I'm trying to suss it out, and that's making me more anxious. So, um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, love what you, I love what you said. It's one big hairball, you guys. The world, flesh, and devil are co-conspirators against the purpose of God in our lives. Um, I do, I do, uh, do want to say uh, I have a, a dear friend who is the host of a, a podcast. Uh, have, have you heard of The Exorcist Files? That really famous wild podcast, very wild. And what this podcast is, is my friend, Ryan, uh, interviewing Father Carlos Martins, who is literally a exorcist in the Catholic Church. And he gets a ton of people knocking on his door, asking that question. Uh, help me discern, is this demons or is this uh, neural path, is just my neural stuff happening? And one thing, even the Catholic Church has a very rigorous process for not jumping to demonic conclusions, <laughs> even when they are professional exorcists in the Catholic Church. They, go th they bring psychologists, they bring therapists, they bring clinical psychologists, psychiatrists into the mix, and start ruling out scientific, like, scientifically as you can with stuff like that before they even get to the deliverance stuff. Um, so that was good for me to learn, uh, that it's not all the unseen Wild West. In, in Sounds like soul care, like we yeah, were talking about Yeah, it's earlier. very much hol holistic soul care. Anyways, um, yeah, good question. I, I hear this one probably the most, being a pastor with people going, hey, should I do therapy? Should I be a Christian therapist? How important is it to work with a mental health provider that shares your faith? That's a really good question that I, I think even, even in my own experience, I've, I've, I've had mixed ideas about that. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, when we're, when we're going into therapy, we're, we're, we're trying to find somebody that can really understand our story, connect with us, um, and, and makes, makes the real effort to help you make peace with all that's going on with you. I think more important than uh, somebody that, that, that agrees with, with every single thing that you believe is, do you have somebody that's really on your team? And when you have somebody that's really on your team, then what they're going to do is they're not going to try to uh, 
talk you out of your faith or tell you that you're wrong for believing something as much as they're going to help you make sense of it and help you go, why is it that I believe what I believe? How did I come to that conclusion? And it might actually be that in some cases, if we find somebody that's like exactly in the same place that we are, they may just say, okay, 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 and take it for granted that, that what you might actually be struggling with is, is some what we call cognitive dissonance, where you've said you've always believed this thing, but is that actually true? Maybe somebody going, hey, help me understand this might be the best thing in the world for you because it'll help you reason through the most important things in your life, like your faith. Yeah, very helpful. Um, great. The next question is, how do you find connection without becoming dependent um, on people? Or maybe unhealthy. I know we depend on each other, but in an unhealthy dependency, connection, when connection becomes unhealthy, how does that look? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, I think this is, it's important to realize that in some ways, we are, we are actually designed to be uh, what, I, what I'd call inter, interdependent. Mm. So scripturally, we know that in the, the idea of, for example, the body of Christ, right? We are not meant to be uh, independent body parts that are, that, are, that are off doing their own thing. We're meant to, to be together in a v- way that's very dependent on one another by design. So there are some ways in which we really do need people, and God wants that to be the case. There are other ways in which it becomes unhealthy, or what we would call codependency. Codependency is when you're losing yourself to somebody else. You're ignoring your own sense of identity, your own values, your own sense of what is God calling me to do. In that case, it's important to kind of look and say, whoa, how do I reestablish and believe in the person that God created me to be? And is that inherently going to be a violation to this other person? Will they respect that? Will they want to build me up in that? Or are they going to tear me down until I become the person they want me to be? Mm. Now, that can get really tricky when we've had hard relationships, right? Because sometimes uh, we're wondering, is this a safe person or not? Will this be the kind of person I can start sharing with? And if that's the case, um, we want to go slow. We want to say, I need to take some time to learn who this person is what they're all about, see them through different seasons, ask them good questions, and if I'm starting to feel unsafe, then I want to start asking myself some good questions about that. Am I unsafe because this person is unsafe, or do I feel unsafe because this person just said something that reminded me of the last person who actually was unsafe? That goes back to the Maslow's hierarchy. Is it I feel unsafe, is it true that I'm unsafe? Or is it true that this is a safer person and I'm just feeling some unsafety? You see the difference? Hopefully that was a little bit yeah. helpful in answering that question. I, I'd like to double click on that, from, just like open it up a little. Um, so in, 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 at the heart of Christianity is this idea of dying to yourself or yourself you know, crucifying your flesh with all its desires. And, and so not I live, but Christ. So almost, um, yeah. And <laughs> so I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you something like, I don't know if I have my question formulated, but 
is it possible to take that gone wild and, and to basically erase yourself in the name of some version of holiness that is not required by Jesus? Um, because that seems to fly against the other command. If you take it extreme, die to self, get rid of yourself, crucify yourself, just put yourself last all the time in every single, in the name of God, versus love your neighbor as yourself, like you said tonight. So how do you uh, suss that out? Um, you know, yeah, how do, how do you suss that? Because I don't, I, I don't want to react against my, because my upbringing was crucify yourself, which is great. Paul says that multiple times. Like, my, I have desires in my flesh that war against the Spirit of God versus, no, I'm a child of God, and he has gifts of, that come from heaven and are wired into my body through my mother's womb that he's intended to be seen. Like, how do you, how, how, you know, maybe complete my sentence right now. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah. I, I find that something is, that's really been helpful for me is um, because I've had that tendency to, to think I'm supposed to erase every part of me uh, for the sake of others. And um, what I think I realized is it's not about crucifying the, the self as much as it's crucifying the selfish. Mm. And there's, there's a way in which we can look at, am I, am I being governed by the fruit of the Spirit right now? Is there love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Or is it the opposite of all those things? Because sometimes we can be very, very uh, selfless on the surface and dying to ourselves. However, we're doing it with all the wrong motives or the wrong heart or because we, we are terrified that, that somebody is not going to be happy with us. Or, and in that case, what usually ends up happening is I start recognizing, oh, Am I actually trying to please man, i.e., am I trying to please this other person that's just walking all over me, but I'm not actually pleasing God. I'm pleasing this person in a way that might not even be helpful for them because it's reinforcing something really negative in them. And if we're, if we're doing all things for the glory of God, if we're doing things with the fruit of the Spirit, I think what we're actually doing is we're looking at the other person through the eyes of Jesus and saying, what is this person's best rather than how am I dying to myself? Am I, am I so inwardly focused that I'm just getting rid of all the flesh or am I outwardly focused on saying, what does God see here? There you go. Wow. That was money. Yeah. That's cool. really good. Yeah. All right. Um, I love when it's money. That's I, awesome. I, yeah. I want to quadruple click on that, but that, <laughs> that'll turn into a sermon. I mean, I'm, oh. I'm going to make you preach a really yeah. great sermon. Um, do you, we could follow up on any of these, by the way. Yeah. Do yeah. you believe that, well, yeah, do you believe that God slash prayer alone can heal your anxiety? Yeah. I think, I think what this question is trying to get at is, yeah, do we, do we believe in a God that can do anything? And yes, we absolutely believe in a God that can do anything. Does he always do certain things? No, right? Because a lot of us here tonight are experiencing anxiety, right? Um, we've prayed those prayers hundreds of times in some cases and felt shame for still feeling anxious, in fact, as opposed to saying, if we go back a little bit into what we were, were thinking and feeling, we go, oh, yeah, maybe the anxiety was left here for a reason. 
Maybe it really, again, was meant to move me in a new direction. Maybe it was meant to make me, uh, you know, a thorn in the flesh kind of a, a situation where now all of a sudden I'm a lot more empathetic and compassionate to the people that God has called me to, to, uh, to, to witness to. Whatever that thing is, we, we oftentimes feel like something is wrong with us for being anxious as opposed to saying, God, not what's wrong with me, but, but what, are, what are you doing here, and how can, I, how can I pay close attention to that? I was talking actually with, with Aaliyah Persley about, about this uh, just a few minutes ago, and she says, sometimes we, we want God to like airlift us off the like island where we're stranded, and then he comes by in the helicopter, and instead of picking us up, he actually joins us on the island. We're like, what are you doing? No, I didn't want you to join me here. I wanted to get out of here. But sometimes he just wants to be with us in it, and it becomes about relationship with him and others. Oh, so good. Uh, the presence of God in the anxiety. Uh, how do you respond to, for example, a parent uh, that thinks if you just pray, then your anxiety will go away? How do you, how, uh, yeah, how do you respond lovingly in that way? Yeah, I think... I think that comes back to what is the relationship with the parent like. Um, if if you know that the parent, for example, is is really curious and able to have like a, a really good dialogue, then maybe you know you're you are able to openly share what what that experience has been like for you. Hey, I really have tried, and I, I really am praying, and, and I'm so grateful that you're joining me in prayer. But this thing hasn't changed. A lot of times. Um, um, and, and, and sadly, more often, especially when we get to, to therapy, I, we recognize that, that not all family members not a, <laughs> are able to join us in that level of uh, curiosity or that level of discernment. And so um, sometimes we say, thank you, I, I will keep praying. And we leave it at that. Mm. Bless you. Um, sometimes we say, hey, I know how much... You, you love me and that you're really concerned about me and I'm so grateful for your love. Thank you for loving me and I would feel really loved by us not having to continue to, to go back to this. Sometimes they may not even have capacity for that, in which case I just say, will do. And I leave it there. <laughs> Great idea. Let, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pray when I get home. And you know what? that might be all they have capacity for, and that's okay because that's one of those boundary things that we talked about. If you're finding yourself having to have the same exhausting conversation over and over and you know you're gonna get anxious having it and no good has come from ever having it, great, you know what? Don't have it. But who are the people, the safe people, again, that you can have that conversation with that will care about you through it and who will say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you shared with me that you've been praying like, how else can I help you? And to know that those people exist outside of that parental relationship is something sad and something that needs to be grieved because we would love for that to be our parents. And sometimes it can't be. Um, I do a lot of work in this uh, in the space of, of having folks that have come from difficult um, parental backgrounds. There's entire support groups even just for that. There's something called uh, Adult Children of Alcoholic and Dysfunctional Families. I think I referred five people to that group this week. Um, but they're all over town, just like AA groups are all over town. And if you go onto their site and you read through the list, 
you will feel so sane and so like validated in your feelings. It will bless you like you can't even believe. You are not alone in, in wondering why, why is this going on and why don't they understand me? Know that that's okay. And there are people that can understand you and want to. And there is a, is that a bee? This is a, a little bee that a landed bee. on our table. Wow. I'm feeling anxious about the bee. Um, oh, he's, he's disoriented. Yes. Uh, he's experiencing a, a psychosis. There yes. are delusions and hallucinations. I like, I like this next question okay. because it's really like, hey, help me, I don't know, initiate creating these relationships. Because like this, this word safe, it means these things to us. Like they, people, people who listen. People who are, in, are, cons are interested in my well-being, and I, I can be interested in theirs, and there's this mutual listening happening. Um, how, do you how do you begin finding that? Yeah. Um, for some of us, that, that might be you know, just engaging in some of the, the things that, that we listed, some kind of a group. Um, but within the, those groups, you'll probably find that there are one or two people that either have a little bit more capacity to, to have some conversation, a little bit more time, uh, or maybe that you just connect with a little bit more or you sense uh, that you feel a little bit safer around them for some reason. Maybe that's a great place to start. Um, if you've tried that and it still feels really difficult, um, sometimes I think it's so valid to, to bring that up um, if you are in therapy or a support group because, again, What's happening relationally for us is deeply affecting our, our mood, our depression, our anxiety. And so we might actually want to work through, is there something that I'm missing in my life that is preventing me from connecting socially? Am I, am I making a, a weird face when I talk to people? Am I, uh, am I saying the wrong thing? Am I, am I, you know, do I smell weird? Like what, you know, there might be something simple like that. More often than not though, there might be ways in which we're experiencing uh, some kind of like uh, an issue with with the way that we come across because of our, our mood or the way that we get triggered or the way that we're misunderstanding somebody. And it can be really helpful mm. to work through why that is so that we can then go back and re-engage and start making meaningful connections. Um, if, you, if you find you've, you've consistently been in that boat, um, there's a kind of therapy and support group called um, DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Um, and those those do a phenomenal job of giving you guys uh, some really great um, emotional life skills and the ability to regulate your emotions in a way that you can go back and re-engage with people in a way that you never have before. And I've, I've seen so much success from groups like that. Um, again, you go onto like something like psychologytoday.com and look under support groups and type in DBT, DBT. Tons of them are gonna come up all over town and it'll be really, really helpful. And yeah, just to add a little bit to that on from a pastoral, per, like your pastor, but from like the church perspective on in, in inter inter church, this is ideally where we'd like to see the, the our communities become uh, in in some way is actually a listening, truly safe listening space guided by the spirit where these kinds of things can begin to happen um, for the long haul. Uh, yeah, so. Um, what, what are some of the most common traits that can keep us from experiencing meaningful connection? The most common things that keep us from experiencing meaningful connection? That's a very big question. 
Yeah, there, there are a lot of nuances to that one. Um, what, I, what I would love to say is, um, is to be curious about people. Um, there are a lot of people that feel like they want to be heard and not a lot of people that give them the time of day to be heard. Um, if you become the kind of person that, that listens and is curious and asks good questions, it's going to become a lot easier for you to, to find meaningful um, engagement. Now, sometimes we're like, uh, Greg, I'm, I'm a terrible question asker. Great. Again, you know what? You know what I often recommend for people? Google good questions to ask. I'm not even kidding. It's amazing how much you will find and you'll be able to actually just start a great conversation. Another thing to do, if somebody says something uh, that sounds even a little bit interesting to you in that conversation that they started, grab a hold of that thing and ask a follow-up question. Oh, yeah, you, you told me uh, you go to uh, Park Hill Church? Yeah, do, do, you, uh, do you like Park Hill Church? You know, it could be something like that. Oh, yeah, I really do. Oh, oh, why do you, you know? You're just following up a lot of times on the, on the train of thought. And it might sound really, really basic. It's because it is. People really, really do want connection. They really feel valued when you make the effort. So good. And I'm going to, I think we can answer these, these last top two, these top two, we can answer them uh, in the time we have. And then I'm going to, if, if, I'm going to throw you a curveball to end. Fun. So you don't know what it is, but you know it's coming. All right. All right. So, uh, I'm ready. And it's not a question. It's, it's going to be fun. So uh, question. what if, w let's ask the second one first because I like the hope one for last. Okay. What if the church includes the place, what if the church is the place that hurt you? So yeah. what if the church includes the place in people that damage someone's mental health and the ability to love? How do you find healing in that church again? Yeah, such a great question. Yeah. There is, there's no question that even in coming here, one of the number one stories that I hear all the time in this community is, unfortunately, the, the pain that they experienced in their previous church or their previous uh, religious experience. And first of all, to, to just validate that that is something so important that, that, that deserves to be heard and acknowledged. Um, that is a form of trauma that, that really does mess with the whole biopsychosocial assessment, doesn't it? Because now we're saying, now, my, now I don't know if I can trust what I believe about God. I don't trust what I believe about other people. And I don't even know if I can trust myself and like what I actually believe at my core. So to give that the kind of care that that deserves and to acknowledge that those are, those are very real questions that must come up as you're, as, you're, as you're starting your healing journey are so, so valuable. And to treat it like a legitimate trauma, uh, because it is. I think that what we're, what we're trying to do here as we're talking about the healing church is to say, okay, I need to really take my time again to see if this is a safe place because of course I'm going to feel unsafe when I show up at any church but I need to take the time with relationship just like I would take the time getting to know a person too because the church is, is pretty relational in fact she's called the bride of Christ and sometimes not in very nice terms 
That's a relationship, right? So I'm going to be slow with it. I'm going to ask good questions. I'm going to look for safety. And I'm also going to say, am I feeling unsafe just because I feel unsafe about church, period? Or am I feeling unsafe because this place is unsafe? And to be able to discern the questions. Sometimes it's also really helpful just to use some of those coping strategies as it relates to things like like your faith or coming to church. There are times where um, I might just sit and in a in a seat and journal half the time. And if I hear, you know, uh-oh, the, the, the triggering good-looking white man is telling me about the authority of Scripture and I'm supposed to, like, just obey, like, you know, I might write that down. So it feels like it's heard somewhere. It's in my journal now. Okay, great. Awesome. Or if I feel like, you know what, that song up there is telling me all I need is Jesus, and I'm like, you know what, I need a whole lot more than that. Excuse me. I'm going to write that down, or I'm going to just acknowledge that that's, that's a little triggering right now, and that's okay. Being able to give yourself the grace and compassion to recognize that we have been hurt, and things like that are going to hurt us, but does that mean that, we were, that they were trying to hurt? No. They were actually trying to help, and I was interpreting it as hurt because of my past experiences, and that can be a difference. Love that answer. My goodness. May church be a place of healing. What is, finally, okay, Greg, what is something from your therapy work that has brought you hope for healing? Smiley, winky face. So much. You guys, I, uh, I love, I love being a therapist um, because I, I, I get to, I get to see that this stuff that we're all talking about, it actually really works. Um, and I get to see so much healing happening every day. How, I, I don't know how I, I don't experience hope sometimes. I mean, I, I actually feel giddy sometimes. I mean, people look at me like I'm a crazy person. I think sometimes just a, I'll like leave the, the rehab clinic. And I'll be like, this was the best day ever, you know? And everyone's like, oh, you know? But it's because I'm experiencing so much hope in, in their stories of redemption. And isn't that what the Christian life is really looking at is... is to look for what is redemptive and to look for healing and to look for resurrection power in, in, in people. I think the other thing that's given me a lot of hope is, is the idea that, um, that my own story matters. Um, all the tears I've cried, all the pain I've felt, all the wounds I experienced, I, I, I'm finding ways that I can put the darkness to work and to experience that as a therapist that... Um, that God has comforted you in all your trials so that you can comfort others in theirs feels incredibly meaningful. And I hope that so many of you are like, okay, I'll go be a therapist now. Great, yes. There is a mental health crisis in our country right now because there are so many people that feel so lonely, so unconnected in ways that, that I don't think we've ever experienced before. And if you are that kind of person that really does love people and loves asking good questions, Yes, and amen. Like, there is hope for you, too. Well, before we wrap, I would love to, here's the curveball. I would love to ask if you'd be, in front of everyone, if you'd be willing to uh, lead us in that kind of like breathing practice you alluded to here during your talks. And you did it at the Revoice Conference after your session. You like let everyone in like breathing and then... 
tense and then release and tense. And it was actually a really beautiful moment for the whole group to do it together. And, and then we'll and just close us in prayer. I would love that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, guys. I, do they need to stand? That was an easy curveball. Um, yeah. Let's start by sitting, actually. Okay. We'll, do the, we'll do that tension one first. Okay. So sometimes in our bodies, we feel really tense, right? Especially when we're feeling super anxious. Maybe right now, you're like, we just talked about anxiety for three hours. Yeah, I'm feeling anxious. Good for you. Let's use that. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, this will sound really weird, and we're going to go with it, and that's great. We're going to like deliberately like tighten like every part of our body, and then we're going to completely release. So it's like we're just like a pile of mush. All right. And then one more time, tighten up. Get every little muscle in your body as tight as you can, and then make it as loose as you can. It's, if you feel silly, you're doing it right. Good. One more time, tight as you can. Feel it even from your toes to your head, and then as loose as you can. <sighs> okay, good. All right. And now we're going to do, uh, do a little breathing exercise where uh, we're going to combine a couple of the things uh, where we're going to do some of the, the breathing with the word, and then we're going to, um, instead of focusing on the room, we're gonna, I'm going to want you to think about for a second, what is the most peaceful place that you've ever been? It could be a vacation spot, could be your bedroom, it could be wherever, wherever you want, grandma's house, you name it, it can be whatever feels peaceful to you. Sometimes I even have people that say, like, I imagined a peaceful place. That's great. Totally cool with me. But imagine that for a second, because we're going to go there and we're going to do some of the grounding exercise with it, okay? But first, we're going to just do two in and out breaths. We're going to breathe in, thinking about peace, breathe in God's peace, and blow the anxiety all the way across the room. And one more time, deep breath, and blow the anxiety away, far away, far away, far away. And now I want you in your mind, with your eyes closed, to think about that peaceful place. What is that place for you? Now I want you to think about what are the things that you see in your, in your peaceful place? And to, to name them uh, in your mind. Maybe, for example, if you're at the beach, you see grains of sand, you see seagulls, you see crashing waves. Go ahead and just name those things for a minute in your mind. Now that you see that, I want you to think about what are the things that you hear in your peaceful place? Is it a gentle stream? Is it a is it a the the tea kettle whistling? Is it music? Go ahead and think about what do you hear and kind of try to hear it. I want you to think about what are the things that you you taste and smell? Are they those cookies that, that she used to always make? Are they is it that candle that you love? Is it that that glass of iced tea with 
just the right amount of lemonade mixed in. And then I want you to think about what are the things that you feel there? Is it the soft chair? Is it the, is it the, the grains of sand touching your feet? Get in touch with that feeling. And then as you're at your peaceful place, all of a sudden, your favorite person in the whole wide world, you see in the distance and they're walking over to you and they have the biggest smile on their face and they want to tell you something. Who's that person and, and what is it they want to tell you? Thinking about all your senses, I want you to, to do a couple more of those breaths again. I want you to breathe in the peace of that place. And breathe out. One more time, breathe in. And breathe out. <laughs> and as the plane takes off, you can slowly open your eyes when you're ready. We feel a teensy bit less anxious? Yeah, a little bit. That feels like a peaceful place to end our time together. Yeah. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate you having me do this. It means a lot. Greg, thank you so much. Give it up for Greg. Thank you, sir. Um, your whole life. So, oh. Oh, it's okay. I, I, yeah, you can pray if, if you want to. I was just going to say, uh, for our last House of Learning, next month, uh, our very own Matt Persley, he graduated this year with a, a master's degree in historical theology. He's a church historian, basically now is what that means. So uh, he's one of the pastors here. He's going to do our House of Learning at the end of November, uh, and he just shot me the title to, during, this, during this one, and it's Christian History Before Power what the family of God uh, says about the Son of God. And so it's basically, he's just, gonna, he's just gonna talk about the first 300 years of the church. Like, how did Christianity work? Like, how did it end up working? <laughs> and, 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 because that's a qu actually a lot of our leaders, if you're a community leader, a lot of you, when you were, when you filled out your forms to be community leaders, we asked a question, what's one thing you wanna learn more about? The most responses was, I wanna know more about church history. It was, I was surprised, actually. So you've spoken, we've heard, and, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to look at the first 300 years of the church before it became an empire, uh, Roman thing, like what was going on there, and, and what did God do to bring it about, and so that we can know who we are. It's our family story. Just like we talked about this morning, it's our family story. So with that, Greg, you can just wrap. You can wrap it. God, thank you for the many things that you have to say in your word over us as it relates to our anxiety. Thank you that you give us a beautiful invitation to cast all our anxiety on you because you care for us. Thank you that you remind us that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Thank you that you remind us that... Um, 
you comfort those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Thank you that you remind us that um, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you for reminding us that even though this world has many troubles, you have overcome the world. And so we rest tonight, not in just temporary peace and trying to get rid of those anxious feelings, but we rest in the story of you, a God that has everything and everyone firmly in his hands. And we rest there tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.